Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Matthew chapter 5. And we've been talking about this whole idea of a radical kingdom lifestyle that God has called us to live. And we are excited about this because the theme for this coming year is simply shine. And we're focusing on this because what we're asking God to do is to first shine upon us as he shines upon us that we can have our lives being transformed because his light brings uh, clarity. It exposes things in our lives. It also draws us in, especially when we are in darkness. But then we also talked about how once he shines his light upon us, that we want to be able to reflect that light to other people and especially into this dark world into our city, those of you who are students, into our campuses. And so that is part of the vision that we have for this coming year, that as God shines His light upon us, that we will be able to shine His light to the world. And I'm looking forward to hearing all the great testimonies of life transformation, as well as the different areas in this society that we'll see transformed because we have people who are living out the gospel message. And if you remember, as we talked about this, we were mentioning about the book of Matthew chapter 5 and this whole idea of the Beatitudes, the blessings, the teaching, how blessed we are if we would live completely differently than the way uh, the world lives. And that's what's going to make us shine. Because when we do live differently, they're going to be wondering, why is it that you live in this way? So if you look at that verse in Matthew chapter 5, listen to what it says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 through 16, it says this, You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. So this is what our heart's desire is set on, that we really want to be the light. This is who we are in our identity. It's not because the source of light comes from us, but it comes from God. And that as we are now the light of the world, that when people see our good deeds, as we learn to love people around us, to love the city, to love our campuses, to love the nations, that through that they will praise the God in heaven for who he is and what he has done in our lives. Now, I think there's probably no better time than right now in this COVID pandemic to really be able to live our lives and having the light of Christ shine upon us and the world. I don't know how many of you have been keeping up with the news, but as you can tell, a lot of crazy things are happening, especially those of you who know what's happening, knows what's going on, especially in um, the United States. Now here, it's, it's, it's all understood. You cannot get on transportation. You cannot enter certain places without a mask. And so because of that, and also I think just in the Asian culture, there's a little bit more of a mindfulness of other people. And so because of that, a lot of times uh, it's expected that everyone will wear a mask. And even though we have some international people in the workplace or maybe just even as students, we all understand that being in Hong Kong or being in Asia, you have to wear a mask. But 
Any of you watching, if you are from the United States, the, the United States of America, where it's the land of the free and the home of the brave, where there's so much of the individualistic mindset, no one's going to tell people what to do and how to live their lives. That's just the American way. And if you have been watching the news, you realize that this has stirred up a lot of different sentiments, like whether it is anger, whether it's people just being very fearful, and it's just a whole range of emotions. And I think it's times like this where it's really bringing out some of the ugliness that we see and what's already inside our hearts is just coming out because of the situation. So I wanted to show this video of a situation that happened in Fresno, California, which is on the northern part of California. And supposedly this man, he's a CEO of a, this company, he came into this restaurant and he just refused to put on a mask. And the employees are all trained at this time now that you have to wear a mask if you want to enter into some establishments. And so he ended up going off on this rant and uh, they finally decided, okay, this is enough. We're going to record this and have some proof. And so it actually hit the news. And I want you to watch this, this really quick couple-minute news segment about the situation that happened. And they finally ended up reaching out to that CEO, and he ended up apologizing. But it's really interesting when they started interviewing the employee that had to deal with all this ugliness that came out. So let's go ahead and watch this video together. I'm not a racist, except for when the camera's on me, right? <laughs> or when the camera's not on me. Uh, you know, I, I think when, when the moment really counts, I think that's when our true self comes out. Not when you're on camera, not when you are asked a question and then you're trying to defend yourself. Uh, the comments were made, and a lot of times that's the ugliness that we see in our own hearts. And instead of judging, which is really easy to do, the question for us is, what are some of the ugliness and the things that we see even in our own lives? What are the things that begin to surface when it comes to our relationship with people around us? What are some of the things that surface around us when uh, things don't go our way, when situations uh, cause us to get very impatient? I think some of those things just begin to reveal what's really deep inside. And I think all of us will have to confess, and myself included, just to be able to say we're still in this process of sanctification and trying to become more like Jesus Christ. And as we think about this today, I want to just remind us that we live in this broken world. And in this broken world that's filled with sin, it affects every single part of us, and especially in our relationships with people. And until we can really see sin for what it is and how that sin in our hearts begin to affect other people around us, we're not going to live this kingdom lifestyle that's going to shine God's light because the way we do relationships, whether with our friends, our family members, even uh, our spouse, uh, spouse or with our children, whatever it may be, that we are just like the world. And so they will not see the good deeds and the way we live our lives and praise God in heaven. So we want to focus in on that. So listen to this quote by Charles Spurgeon. He once said this. He said, as the salt flavors every drop in the Atlantic, so does sin affect every atom of our nature. It is so 
it is so sadly there, so abundantly there, that if we cannot detect it, you are deceived. What strong language that reminds us that every single one of us, we are infected by sin. And if we cannot own up to it or see it in our own lives, then it says here, we are deceived. So today we want to talk about how we're going to shine this light when it comes to relationships that we have every single day with people around us, whether at home, whether in our workplace, or whether in school, and even those of us who are participating in life group. So here's the one thing. The one thing for today is simply this, that our relationship must be made right in order for us to shine God's light. Let me say it again. It's our relationships must be made right in order for us to shine God's light. So we're going to take a little pause here and take a moment here to uh, get into our huddle groups. And can I just once again reestablish the purpose and the why we do huddle groups? Because instead of just sitting here and watching me just talk to you on a screen, uh, we want more interaction together because I think we can only take a certain amount of time just watching a screen. It's a little bit different when you're live in the room, when there's other people around you. And so that's one of the reasons. Number two is that we really want you to be engaged. And through this opportunity that you will have to talk with other people, uh, especially those of us who are in our life group ministry, this is how you get to know people. And we're praying that even though there are short moments together, that it could spark up conversations. And even afterwards, if something clicked for you or some topic came up and you want to talk some more, then you could follow up and talk to each other in that way. That's how you build stronger relationships. And those of you who are new and you're just joining us, just watching us, please, we encourage you to participate as well as there will be some people online that you can join and talk through some of these questions. And that will help you to get to know a little bit more about our church. So that's why we have these huddle group times. And it's very, very important as we're preaching the Word of God. So here are the two questions that I want you to think about. The first question is, why is it so hard for us to live with kingdom values and be more Christ-like when it comes to relationships with people? What are some of your triggers? All right, so when I mean my triggers... It's simply what are those things that kind of make you explode or kind of get you really angry or even just you don't want to talk to this person. So you, uh, hopefully some of us can know what those things are and share it with one another. And like I said, if some of you don't feel comfortable doing this, just kind of keep it general and we'll figure out like you don't want to go deeply. But it just takes one person to go deep and then all heaven opens up and everyone shares, all right? So go ahead and talk about those two questions. We'll give you about uh, six uh, minutes, so please do it really quickly, and then we'll come back. Hopefully you had a good opportunity to share a little bit, and once again, it's just a conversation starter, so if there's things you wanna talk about more, as they're part of your life group, uh, we will encourage you just to meet up with them or talk to them afterwards. So today, this is what we're going to be focusing on. As we think about the kingdom lifestyle, what does that mean? Not only are we supposed to be the light into this world, but our relationships, everything that deals with people around us, it has to be affected in a positive way, as well as affecting other people in a powerful way. And I've been praying, I've been asking God, Lord, 
use your word today to really go deep into some of those things, the recesses of our hearts that sometimes we don't see it come out. It's only at those moments when things are difficult and hard. But if we can see it and today we could repent of it and turn to God for his mercy and really desire to be this light that will shine brightly and we do the things that we need to when it comes to relationships, I believe it's going to really transform of the way not only our church, but the way you live your life in the workplace as well as on your campus and wherever you may be. So the whole point that we're going to try to focus in on is that our relationship must be made right so that we can shine God's light. I'm going to go ahead and start by reading from verse 17 through 20. So we're going to start establishing. So after Jesus gave the Beatitudes, he shares something in, these, in this next section that will lay the foundation for what we're going to be covering uh, for the next whole section here. So let me just go ahead and read, starting from verse 17. It says this. This is Jesus speaking. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not a iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So the first thing that you have to try to understand as he's laying down a foundation is that Jesus did not come to get rid of the law. In fact, the point that he's trying to make is the law that was stipulated and given to the people by God, he came here to embody it, to live it out. He was going to fulfill the law. Everything that we see in the Torah, in the first five books, even the Pentateuch that we see, the Old Testament, that it was going to be lived out by Jesus. So what he's really doing is I'm not trying to get rid of anything, but I'm trying to teach you and show you the kind of life that you have to live because now we are going to be citizens of the kingdom of God, a complete different lifestyle, a complete different allegiance, no longer to some kind of religion, no longer to some kind of government or to whoever it may be, but our allegiance is to God and God alone. And that means that the kind of life that we live as citizens of that kingdom should reflect who God is. And that's why you will notice that phrase, law and the prophets. He's referring to, as I mentioned, the first five books in the Old Testament and also the prophetic words that were spoken by the prophets of God. And I want you to know that especially the focus of this section that we're going to be talking about is about the first, the Ten Commandments that Jesus will be referring back to as he teaches on the Sermon on the Mount. Now, why is this important? Because the Ten Commandments that God gave in the book of Exodus chapter 20, it is the foundation for all other laws and what the prophet was speaking towards. So that's why it's important to know the Ten Commandments. That's why if you look at many different places and even I know in the United States, as it's founded under Judeo-Christian values, not anymore, I guess, but under that, 
that it's really based on a lot of the laws of the Ten Commandments. Now, why is this important? If you study the Ten Commandments, you will notice that the first five commandments, it deals with our relationship with God, the vertical relationship. It's really powerful when you think about it, that God knew that here are these ten simple, not easy to obey, but here are simple laws that will govern the way you relate to me and the way you relate to other people. So the first five commandments really deal with our relationship with God. That's why about not taking the Lord's name in vain, have no other gods before me. All these things deal with our relationship with God. And then the other from six to ten, it deals with our relationship with one another. So don't covet, uh, don't commit murder, don't commit adultery, all this kind of stuff. It deals with how it affects our relationship with people around us. That's why Jesus, when he talks to people and one of the teachers of the law, they asked him, what is the greatest commandment? And what does Jesus say in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 through 40? He says this, and this is Jesus speaking. And he said to them, he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Even Jesus knew as he was trying to teach people that if you could summarize the Ten Commandments with just two, which is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, which covers one through five, and then to love your neighbor as yourself, which deals with six through ten. So he summarizes the commandments even with this, these two ideas, loving God and loving people. Now, with that being said, when Jesus said, I did not come here to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, what he's really saying is this, and this is so important for you to understand in order for us to understand anything that's going to be happening uh, in the other verses. So you got to get this. What Jesus was trying to say is this. I am not so much focused on your action nor your behavior, but I am concerned about your heart. I want to make sure you got this. What Jesus was trying to say to the people who were listening to this sermon was that I am not so concerned about your actions, but I am concerned about your heart. Why? Because there are a lot of actions you can do or not do and have the wrong heart. And the problem with the Pharisees is that they were trying to earn their way to heaven by good works. This is the problem with so many of us. Because we're trying to do all these things and obey God. But we're doing it because it's all about some kind of merit system or this works mentality that we're saying that if I can do this, then God has to surely like me or love me or do this for me. And so in many ways, many of us who are watching right now, we are just like the Pharisees. And this is the reason why he establishes this because he wants to get to the heart because he's going to talk about some issues that are very difficult to talk about especially to those people who are like, I didn't do any of those stuff. That's why he wants to get to their hearts. And so what he's doing right now is this, as he shines the light and he says, you cannot earn salvation through good works. And that's inherently what he's trying to communicate. It has to be where your heart is. And so what he ends up doing and makes it very clear 
that he did not come to save good people, but he came to save bad people and make them good. Let me say that again. That Jesus Christ did not come into this world to save good people, but he came to save bad people like you and like me and then make us good by his grace and grace alone. And this is the reason why when we think about the topics that he's going to cover, he gives four areas. I'm, I'm going to cover it. Actually, there's six, but we're going to cover four today. And I, next week, I'll cover the other two and go into chapter six a little bit. But the four that he covers that we're going to be covering is that pretty much you cannot make yourself right in your relationship with me, Jesus is saying, and also with one another. Just because you observe the law in these areas doesn't mean that in your heart there are things going on that will surface later on. So I want you to have this foundation, this idea of what he's trying to teach here as we cover this next section. And so I'm just going to, the points are simply this. Each one of those things are the points. So there's no two things. I'm going to just look at these four areas and keep on directing it back to the one thing which is that we have to think about these relationships and we have to make it right according to what the scripture says. That's the only way we're going to be able to shine God's light. Make these relationships right, then you're going to be able to shine the light. The first example is anger. So I'm going to go ahead and read verse 21 through 26. Listen to what it says. The word of God says this. You have heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there uh, before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going to him to court. Lest your accuser hands you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you will be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. So here's Jesus. As he laid the foundation, loving God, loving people. And he didn't come to abolish the law, but to really help people to see where their heart is at. The first thing that he addresses is this topic of anger. Now, why is this important? Because if you look at this passage, you will realize the topic of anger is addressed with the commandment that we see of what? Do not murder. So this idea of do not murder, he's addressing that commandment, and then he is talking about anger. A couple things that you need to kind of understand about what happens here as we look at this. There's a pattern. You're going to see a pattern in Jesus' teaching. And one of the patterns that you'll notice is he will always use, use this phrase. You have heard it said and blank, and then he will say, but I say to you. So once again, you will see this phrase of, you have, once, you have heard it once said, but I say to you, 
And what he's doing is he's trying to help the people to see this law, the commandment, from a whole new perspective, which is the kingdom perspective. So it's not just about obeying the law, but looking at it from the perspective of your heart. Now, with that in mind, what do we see here? He addresses this whole issue about anger. Now, the thing about anger is that we have to understand that we cannot misunderstand or minimize what God is trying to say to us. So once again, just in case, some of us says, oh, um, I, I didn't know that. Some kind of misunderstanding. Or I, I, or I didn't know that that's what you were trying to say. So some kind of misunderstanding. And also, I don't know if that's what he meant, which is more of the minimizing. So we will see the sixth commandment of do not murder, and he addresses. So let me just go ahead and jump, jump into this. The thing about anger, and this is something that we need to try to understand in our, in our hearts, is that a lot of the things that we feel becomes a fuel for us to then act upon. So think about murder. Did you know that when you talk to any law enforcement, they will say the first suspects of any murder is whom? Do you know? It's family members or friends, people who are close to them. Why? Because oftentimes murder is cre or has been sinned against someone else because of some kind of enraged um, passion. And it starts with anger. Whether you did it willingly or it was accidental, a lot of times it is anger. So just I want you to think about this. So here's Jesus saying, hey, do not commit murder. Of course, all these righteous people would be like, yeah, we, we have it. So we should go to heaven. But he goes, you have heard it once said, do not murder. They go, yeah, we heard that. We studied it. But he goes, but I say to you that if you are angry at somebody, then you have committed murder where? In your heart. Because it is from the heart, that anger, that begins to brew out and then it translates into action, which is murder. And so for all these righteous people, they're thinking, we didn't kill anybody. But instead of asking directly, what Jesus really wanted to say was, have you hated anybody? Was there anybody that you were angry at? And so can I ask you this morning, this past week, was there anybody, whether it's at work, at home, or school, um, roommates? All right, come on now. Here, 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 pastor's speaking the truth now, right? Roommates, people, your friends, why are they blue-ticking me again, right? Something stirs up because you feel disrespected. You feel as if, like, they're treating you poorly. Like, have you ever felt that this week? So what Jesus is saying is that if you want to live this kingdom lifestyle, then don't, so, don't focus so much on your behavior, but look at what's in your heart. And that's why even this word, and it's not there in the ESV, but there's a word that's used often. It's called raka. And that word is a very scornful, full of pride and hatred. 
And so that's what people will say. Like, oh, that, that will be our version of what the, mm, or like, like you, you fill in the blank with whatever language you speak. And so that emotion is the anger. And you're being scornful. Dis, you're disdaining that person. There's contempt in that person. So it is that emotion that if you do not address, that it can lead to the violation of that commandment. So once again, he is giving us a whole different perspective. That's why he tied into this issue of anger with what? With worship. He goes, if you're coming into the temple and you're going to put something on the altar to worship God because, you know, you love Jesus. But he says, then somehow something comes to your mind that there's a brother or a sister that you're angry with. What does he say? He says, leave it there. Don't even sacrifice. Don't even do the religious activity. Because once again, I don't need your sacrifices. I don't need your religiosity. Stop trying to go to life group. Stop trying to do all the stuff that makes you look really good. Because your heart is wicked. That's what he's trying to say. Don't you see it? He's saying to us. You do all these righteous things and you look so good in front of people. But in your heart, there is anger and that passion that you feel, that scorn, that judgment, and that kind of judgmental attitude towards people and hatred towards certain people or certain governments. It doesn't matter any kind of hatred. You can even feel justified. And you can say, well, it's righteous anger. But what Jesus is saying is check your heart. Look at your heart. If there's any anger, don't even come and worship. Leave it there and then go reconcile with that brother or sister that you have a conflict with and then come back and worship. Why is this important? Because how can you worship God when all the stuff is there? And he wants us to come in that brokenness. Now, please, you could even take something like this and take it to the extreme. Well, then I'm not going to go to church. I'm not going to go to life group because I have all this stuff. I hate the leader. I've been hating him for all these months. I've been hating her. So I'm not going to go because that's what the Bible says because I'm not going to bring my offering. Once again, you're misunderstanding what Jesus is trying to say. He uses these hyperboles so that we can understand that that's how urgent and that's how, in some sense, extreme things are that so many of us, we come before God worshiping him and doing all the service to him which is great but your heart is so far away because things of anger and scorn and hatred racism whatever it may be bitterness all these things are not from god and you're coming to him and as if you're worshiping him as if you are coming that's why even this idea of come before him with what with clean hands pure hearts to come before him in that way and say, God, I worship you. But right now, there are things in my life I want to get right. Praise God for Jesus. That in the midst of feeling what we feel, we can come to him and repent. For some of you, you might be convicted that you actually need to go to somebody and reconcile. You actually need to go to somebody and ask for forgiveness. Whether they accept it or not, whether they feel sorry or not, whether you get a response the way you want it or not, if you have a heart for God, that you want to obey Him, 
And so therefore you will do it because you want your worship to be pure. And come to him in repentance and say, God, forgive me. This barrier has been in my life. The second example is not only anger and you see how that's going to affect relationships. The second thing that we will see is this topic of lust. Huh, our favorite topic, right? Whenever we talk about everyone's like, you know, heads are down a little bit. We're like, oh, okay, pastor, can you make this the shortest uh, example? Uh, but I think in our day and age with everything that's going on, this is something we've got to be honest about and talk about it in the church. If we can talk about we, if we can't talk about it in the church, where are we going to talk about it? Where in the church there's grace and mercy. And I'm not saying that it's universal because a lot of times when we talk about our struggles, sexual issues, whatever it may be, even sexual identity struggles, that there's more judgment than grace and speaking the truth in love. There's a lot of truth speaking, but not a lot of love. And that's why a lot of people hide and they don't change in this area because it is shameful. It is something that we don't like say, oh, that's great. You struggle with that too? That's great. No, it's one of those things we all look at each other like, oh, oh. Avoid that person. And that's why a lot of times Satan uses that shame and guilt and he brings that cycle and then we're stuck. So if we can't talk about it in the church, where are we going to talk about it? Well, in the lunchroom with my friend. No. Because you're going to talk about it with someone who, they could, they'll be more real, definitely, but they're not going to give you a Christ-centered, gospel-centered perspective. So anger, which leads to murder. You have once heard it said, do not commit murder. But I tell you, if you're angry with anybody, you have committed murder in your heart. Now let's look at this section of, about lust. It says this in verse 27. Here's that phrase again. You have heard that it was said, you should not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your eye, right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body going or go to, into hell. If we follow this exactly, like literally, there will be a lot of people in our church with no hands and we will have no eyes <laughs> I'm being a little bit sarcastic but I hope you understand we need to understand this passage to be able to apply it into our lives so Jesus says you've heard don't commit adultery but I tell you that if you look lustfully or this area of lust in our lives, then you have committed adultery. Some of you women are like, thank God he says men. Yeah, you men. Uh, we live in a social media generation, and it's amazing when some of these research there is proving more and more as they do surveys and different things that women are struggling even more than ever before 
even with love. Now, it might not be as visual as some men or most men, but definitely women are also getting into pornography. And for many women, it's more of the fantasy. It's, it's, it's in the brain. It's in our minds. It's these, these ideas. And so we play it out. That's why who, who, are the, who are the buyers of all these fantasy books with like Fabio, I don't know who else, where their shirt is like open wide and their hair is flowing, you know? Who, who do they cater to? It's mostly women because it's all fantasy and they think about it and that's how they fuel the lust. So what is Jesus trying to teach? What he's simply saying is the seventh commandment of do not commit adultery. And so many of these Jewish people are like, I haven't done it. So once again, I'm righteous because of what I did not do or what I did. But Jesus is saying no, because what you forget is you're constantly focusing on the action itself. And you're not thinking about what leads to the action. This is the point that Jesus is trying to make. Stop focusing on the action but look at what is leading up to that action. That is what has to be addressed. That is the thing that we're struggling with. And so for anybody who's not married, they're like, I'm not committing adultery. <laughs> well, I guess you could, right? With another married person if you're still single. But pretty much there are a lot of people who are like, well, that's not me. Because they were trying to be righteous, but they still have a sinful heart. I was just thinking about that. I'm like, God, is there a good example that could really help us understand that so often we think that we're doing something and we're righteous, but deep in our hearts, we have bad motives. And you know what I thought of? Fasting. If any of you have ever had one desire to do something great for God and it was fasting, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because the act of fasting itself, you want to do it because you want to seek God. But then you start walking by in a mall and you see this green and white sign that says Shake Shack. And you think to yourself, wait a minute. Hmm, I'm fasting. I know I should be fasting. But Shake, uh, Shake Shack, they have shakes. And so what you do is you, you start walking back and forth and thinking to yourself, now what is the consistency of a shake? Um, it's liquid-ish. It's a little bit thick. But the viscosity of that is a little bit thick, but I think it's good enough where, because I'm really hungry. And so I'm going to go ahead and buy a strawberry shake over at Shake Shack. That's exactly the kind of heart that the Pharisees had that I want you to try to capture, especially as we talk about lust. They obeyed to the letter of the law because it was still liquidy. But their hearts were more concerned of, I'm hungry and I want to eat something, the desire. But what Jesus was trying to say is, you got to get to that desire in order for you to then experience just the true freedom and the freedom that you have. So look at what it says here. As Jesus was pointing out, that if you look lustfully at a person, then you have committed adultery in your heart. We have to remember that lust becomes the fuel for desire. So the thing that starts in terms of action is really coming down to 
our hearts and our desires. So let's look at this passage in James chapter 1, verse 14. Let's look at it, and it's on your screen right now. Listen to what it says. It says, temptation, so this idea of temptation comes from, everyone say this, our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give, come on, say it together, birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So once again, this idea of it comes from our own desires within and it begins to birth the sinful action. I love the message translation of this. Listen to the message translation. It will give a more of a graphic picture. It says this, the temptation to give in to evil comes from us and only us. So we can't blame God. We can't blame circumstances. It comes from us and only us. We have no one to blame but the leering, sedu seducing flare-ups of our own lust. And check this out. Lust gets what? Come on now. Pregnant. I'm like, dang. All right. All right. I, I see this. So lust gets pregnant and has what? <laughs> has a baby. I'm like, my God. Message translations. Calm it down. Get it to about a PG at least. So lust gets pregnant and has a baby, which is pretty much a baby sin, right? We call it sin. And then sin grows up to adulthood and becomes a real killer. What a great reminder. That's why Jesus is saying it is so deep within us. And if you don't guard your heart and the things that you see and the things that enter into your mind, it is going to eventually kill you in your soul and it's going to lead to a lot of things. So think about it. Now, don't raise your hand, but I'm going, to, I'm going to ask you, like, I'm just wondering how many of us are addicted to pornography? Let me, let me say to those of you who, it's not the person who just watches it once in a while. I'm talking about every single day. Like before, I don't know, um, you start your day, or when things get very stressful, or late at night, like every single day. And you know, first couple of times you're like, oh gosh, and you ask God for forgiveness, but there's a struggle. And you know what I'm talking about, where you are stuck in this bondage. And whatever pleasure that you can receive from it, after a while, it just starts numbing your heart. And you don't even think about it. It's just now part of who you are. For some of us, we cannot even have a conversation with someone from the opposite sex without having our eyes look all over the place. I mean, ask any of these sisters, especially those who are honest enough to tell you. That's why some of these sisters are creeped out by some of you brothers. Because why? Because of all the things that you fed your mind and your heart with, now you're objectifying women. So even as they're trying to talk to you, they know that you're not really paying attention because you're looking elsewhere. And no one wants to feel that. I wouldn't want anyone that I care about and love to feel that. And for some of you ladies, the idea of somebody liking you you, you, you're just so ecstatic, but you have no desire for that person. So you're, you're very flirty because you're getting something that you want. 
And I was just thinking about this, and uh, gosh, I got I got to be careful because it it was something that came up. I, I was reading something uh, about a week and a half ago, and it just kind of popped in my mind because I was reading this one article, and they were talking about how in this pandemic there have been so many different things that have been on the rise, like alcoholism. There's been uh, uh, domestic abuse that have been on the rise, and one that I didn't even think about, but it actually it, it's true is dating apps like it's been it saw an increase in membership and so i'm like dating apps why well okay we're all quarantined okay so that makes sense but then as i was thinking about this a little bit more and i realized wow I, please I, i'm gonna be i'm gonna i have to state it for the record i am not on any dating apps uh, i'm not on those weird things you know you can so i'm, I'm before god i'm you know i just want to be clear some some people are like how does he know all this stuff because I read, all right? It's not because I'm on it, but just think about this. Now, because I haven't been on it, I don't know exactly how it works, so I might not get it all right. But from my readings, I do know, and from different TV shows, I do know that if someone likes you, they swipe. I don't know how they swipe, left, right, whatever, up, down, they, they somehow swipe, or maybe do it like Instagram and say, I like you or something. So there's some kind of action that is done. And then if someone else likes you, then they do the same thing. And then it becomes a what? A match. And as I was thinking about this, and okay, I've never given this many disclaimers, but I, I, I'm going to give some disclaimers. Um, those of you who have been in our church and it's been a dry and barren land and you're thinking there is nobody, then I am not against dating apps. Please, don't misunderstand me. If you go into it, praise the Lord. If you find someone who loves Jesus and there's a match, praise the Lord. I even know some people who got married that way, uh, believers. And so they're harmonizing all over the place, okay? E-harmony and there's other stuff. I know there's a lot of, you know, stumble. No, I'm just kidding. Bumble. And there's all these other things, okay? I'm not going to get into all the ads, but I know there's different ads. But it's interesting. There's an increase. And I was thinking about this and I said to myself, what is it about it? Because ladies, can I especially address it to you? Like every single woman, they have a desirability level that they want to feel. It's just the way God designed you. So when you feel desirable, it literally feeds this narcissistic, self-centered thing inside. It doesn't mean you're like a selfish person, but it just puts it on fire. While somebody likes me, they don't know you, but just from their looks and whatever that's on your profile, they like me. Because when you have to do face-to-face, -face, you, you kind of don't know. Do they like me? Do they not? But this app tells you that they like you. That's why there's a match. And it stokes a fire inside of you like never before. Like, I am desired. I am desirable. So you start validating yourself. I'm not that bad. It's the church. There's no men. These men, they're not doing anything. But once again, if there's no interest, and you just like to be on it because you like to be desirable, you're fueling your lust. <laughs> well, I didn't expect this on a Sunday morning. I should have given you a warning. Um, warning, life group members, church members, we're going to talk some real stuff with Pastor Seth this morning. 
But once again, if we can't talk about it here, where are we going to talk about? We're going to bring it into the light, receive healing from God, forgiveness, and see our lives being transformed. That's how we're going to make our relationship right to shine God's light. Because some of us are so awkward in relationships because not only are we socially awkward, we don't know how to even interact with the opposite gender because we're object objectifying them because it's fueling our lust. That's why he uses the hyperbole that says, if your right eye, if your eye calls you to take it out, if your hand calls you to, he's not saying do this. We're not going into this old different type of religion. I'm not going to mention any religion. But what he's trying to say is take it seriously enough that you're even willing to cut your hand off and take out an eye because this is going to kill you. It is like poison in your soul. Why the hands and why the eyes? Because those are the two culprits, if you will, to sexual sin. It's what you see and then what you do. So once again, people will be like, hey, I didn't commit adultery. I didn't do all this stuff. But there's a rage of lust that's going inside your heart. And Jesus said that's going to affect relationships. Anger, lust. Quickly here, the third example is divorce. In verse 31 through 32, listen to what it says. It was also said, that formula again, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. What Jesus is saying, and you have to understand the time, that what God intended was that a man and a woman will come together in a covenant relationship and that will not be broken. But if someone does commit adultery, then it is what? You break that covenant, that break that trust. And so that's why, except for adultery, it says that you should stay married. Now, there's so many things I could talk about this because if there's physical abuse, verbal abuse, whatever, mental abuse, spiritual abuse, all these things, we also, that's abuse. And so we need to understand that it needs to be a healthy relationship. But the point that Jesus is trying to emphasize is that the Jewish people, they had a very extreme view on both sides of divorce. Did you know that during the biblical times that are in the Jewish culture, a husband can divorce his wife because she's a bad cook? My Lord, do you know how many divorces we'll see? I mean, that's, that's how stupid and extreme that some of these different sects of the Jewish faith where you could just divorce them, give them a certificate, I divorce you, and that's it. The other is a little bit more kind of stringent, and so you can't get divorced at all. And I think this is kind of seeped into some of our evangelical churches where the husband is physically abusing, like beating up on his wife, you can't get a divorce. Like what is any different from that and if that husband ends up committing uh, adultery, whatever else it may be. And so these two extremes, we have to try to understand, might not be the best solution. So what Jesus is trying to say is this, and, and I think it's appropriate that he talks about lust, about adultery, and then this next section, he talks about divorce. So if you study this, I'm telling you right now, and also let me just reference you to uh, Matthew chapter 19. You don't have to look at it, but he also addresses the issue of divorce. 
And the point that he's trying to make is this. God's intention was that a man and woman, when they come together in a covenant relation, it should not be separated. God's original design and original plan is that they will be together forever until death do us part. That's his intent. But if there is something, a breaking of that, then yes, it is understandable, as it says here, but God's goal and intent is always to be able to be in this marriage relationship. That's why sometimes uh, we try to do everything possible to reconcile, go see a marriage counselor, uh, do certain exercises, certain things that we can still build up the relationship. And because if you're in this relationship and you divorce just because of whatever reason, I can't just get along with them. And be careful what I'm, listen to me carefully. I don't know if that's a good enough reason just because you cannot get along with them. Because sometimes you got to learn how to work through. Maybe this is God's way of not just trying to make you happy, but as many of you heard of that old adage, it's to make you holy. That God is using that person to refine you and to make you more like Jesus Christ. Marriage is not about this bliss and everyone just kind of every single day is like honeymoon. But it's really about making us more like Jesus Christ. We have to love somebody who's a sinner and that person has to love you who's a sinner. So Jesus addresses this and reminding them the original purpose is that they will stay together except for this particular situation and then the marriage covenant is broken. Now, let me quickly close with this one, with example number four, which is oaths or promises that you make. Let's read verse 33 to 37. And it says this. Again, you have heard, it, heard that it was said to those of old, you should not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I tell you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. Now, it's like anger, lust, divorce, and then it's just like oath. Well, once again, if you remember, Jesus was trying to talk about the Ten Commandments. And this one, about taking oaths and swearing by something, it's addressing the commandment, the third commandment, where it says, you should not take the Lord's name in vain. So once again, people are like, oh, we don't do that. We're just doing these other oaths, not by your name, but these other oaths. And what Jesus is saying, it's not your actions, but what? Come on, everyone say it. Your heart. Because the Jewish culture, they have a way. And you'll see this in the Middle Eastern cultures. People of the uh, Islamic faith, they do this as well. This is idea that we will, we will say like, if, if it's according to the will of Allah, or if it's according to God's will, then we will try to do this. And they will sometimes make a promise upon something to show the seriousness of their oath or seriousness of their intent. So like, yes, I will hand in my paper tomorrow on the basis of my apartment and uh, on all the amusement park that I've ever gone on. You know, so they will make these kinds of oaths. They will never say upon God, 
but they will make it upon these things. And the point that Jesus is trying to make is this. It's an integrity issue. If you say you're going to do it, then do it. Don't do it with any other promises or upon any other name, whether it's a city, whether it's like on your hair, I'm going to die on my death, whatever. Don't do any of that stuff. Because when people do that, listen to me, when they did that in the Middle Eastern culture, it added to a little bit more weight that they're going to get it done. It's like that person, professor, I'm going to finish that paper or I'm just going to die. I don't think any professor is like, whoa, you really mean it. You're pretty serious, right? Or some of you who are working, you say, boss, I'm going to finish this project by tomorrow at 8 a.m. Or you could fire me, right? No, what Jesus is simply saying is, why don't you just do it? Don't promise on anything. Just do it. And so we make promises on lesser things, but never to God because we can't break that law. But still your heart is, you're not following through. You have no integrity. Uh, let me, let me kind of give you an example. I was just thinking about this. Because Jesus, what he was trying to communicate is, if you would just do it, you would not need an oath at all. Does that make sense? Everyone understand what I'm trying to say? You only make oaths or promises because you know that you might not do it. And you want to cover your, your behind. That's why you make oaths. So that just in case, plan B, and some people are really good at this. The way they state in that email, it's kind of, I cover my, 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 my behind. Just in case I don't get it done, it'll still say something here. So let me, let me explain this. So Jesus is saying, well, just don't swear it at all and just do it. And the example I came up with, and I don't know if many of you understand, but let me try to explain. When I was in high school, and this was my uh, senior year, uh, there's this thing called a fuzz detector. Now, some of you have no idea what I just said. But pretty much it is a radar signal picking up little gadget. Because in the United States, when you drive, the police officers will catch you speeding by putting a, a laser gun on your car and they can tell how fast that car is coming. So then you will have this thing in your car. In some states, it's illegal. But you will have this thing, contraption, it's about this big. You will have it in your car so that when any radar is being pointed at your car, your, this thing will go beep, 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 beep. It will go off. Then you step on the brake. And so it, it's, it's one of those things where you're like, man, I need that. Because I'm tired of getting tickets, speeding tickets, because I have to pay all this fine. And then someone comes up to you and then kind of wakes you up and say, why do you need to buy that? Because I need it. But then how do they respond? Well, then if you don't speed, you won't need it. Oh, yeah, that's true. If I don't speed, I'm not breaking the law, so I don't need it. That is the same kind of heart. Now, why is this all this important? Because he addresses the third commandment because it is about integrity. What would it be like if some of us in our workplace, we had some extreme integrity? What would it be like if in our schools, the way we do our stuff, we don't cheat? We don't try to do all this stuff. Like your, your light will shine pretty brightly because everyone else does it, but you're living differently. 
And it always breaks my heart when I see that there is no difference between those who say they're Christ followers in the workplace or in school and to those people who are of the world. And I'm like, Lord, if we're ever going to shine the light brightly, help us to do things differently. Whether you're a student or you're a working person, when there's a project or paper, something that is due, and you just do it just to get it done, your light doesn't really shine that brightly. But with the deadline in mind, you reorient yourself because you realize you don't want to hand in, you don't want to give to your boss a second-rate job because he's going to be like, this is it. That's why I value excellence. If there's anyone in this world that should do everything with excellence, it should be Christ's followers. Because we want everyone to see how awesome and great God is. That's why for me, if I do something well, and someone's like, wow, I'm like, what a great opportunity to talk about Jesus. To talk about my faith. Why I'm motivated to do the things that I do. If you do it for yourself, it's not going to be meaningful. Or it's not going to last very long. But can you imagine if some of the quality stuff that you produce and the things that you do is so awesome that the light is just emanating out of it. And then when the who did this? Who's in charge of this project? And you're like, oh, I was. And they go, what is your name? Not only have you found favor now with that boss or the CEO that you rarely interact with, but they will notice and that will open up doors for greater influence. Same with those of you who are students. You just want to get it done, don't you? Like, oh, I don't want to think about it. Just get it as long as it's done. That's like an Asian mindset. Just get it done. How good is it just getting done when the quality is that bad? I'd rather have you not get it done. Let's do all things well. Let me read some of these verses and I'll, I'll close us here. We'll come to the time. I've shared a little bit too long. That's what happens when you talk about lust. It can go three hours, all right? Psalm 24, verse 4. He who has clean hands and pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. They're the ones who will see God. Here's another verse. Numbers 30, verse 2. It says, if a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears on an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do accordingly to all that proceeds out of his mouth. So being about being consistent. If you say you're going to do it, do it. The next thing you will notice, Ecclesiastes 5, 4 and 5, it says this. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it. For he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you uh, vow. It is better that you should not vow than you should vow and not pay. So the one thing, once again, is that our relationship must be made right as we, in order for us to shine God's light. Make these relationships right. That means you got to work at the heart issue. So then the question is, what do I need to do, Pastor? Well, let me just make it more simple for us. It's not so much about what I must do, but it's more of what must I see. Because we only those who are pure in heart will see God. 
So we got to look at our hearts. We got to see where we are, and then we respond to Him. Here's some next steps for us to kind of move forward. First of all, is figure out the root of the situation. Figure out the root of the situation. So many of us are so content with just dealing with the action or the behavior, but it really comes down to your heart. It comes down to what's going on in here. So figure out what is the root. Why do I do this? Why do I do that? Because it's something deeper. Why am I in these addictions? Because it's something deeper. So figure that out. And one way to do it is talk to people and to be able to be honest and open up your life. There are people who will be able to help you, which leads to the second thing is to fortify the gospel in your life. Strengthen that, the gospel paradigm. To speak the gospel to yourself, that you do fall short. We all have sin in our lives. But then God, in His mercy, He came and saved us. He rescued us. Once again, He did not save good people, and, but He saved bad people and then made them good. And made them good by making them righteous. The righteousness that they could not earn, He made them righteous. So now, in response to that, I want to be good. I want to be different. I want to be a person of my word. I don't want to get a divorce. I don't want to lust after somebody. I don't want to commit adultery. I don't want to do any of these things. I don't want to murder somebody or get angry because he's been so good to me. And lastly, it's simply to find good accountability. Find good accountability because that is how you're going to be able to keep on growing, keep on walking. Some of our accountability is just sharing time. That is not good accountability. Good accountability is sharing and then say, what are some things you're going to do differently? And I'm going to keep you accountable this coming week. Those of you who just joined our life group, we have started our LCGs, which is our life change groups. I just pray that this year, more than any other season as you've been part of our church, may this year be one of the best LCGs that you will have because you're taking it seriously in terms of your spiritual growth. And I pray that God will bless you with that. So at this time, I, I just want to close with this one video and then we'll release you. Because I think it kind of summarizes what I've been sharing today. So often, many of us, we struggle with issues in our lives and it, it just gets messier. More brokenness, more relationships that don't work out, just more angst, more addictions. And we're wondering what is going on? And the problem is simply that we just don't know the love of the Father, who God is, why He created you, why are you here on this earth. And if you could just tap in and understand His heart for you, it will radically change your life. It will literally free you, that you will no longer live for yourself in your narcissistic or self-centered ways, but you're going to say, God, I want to live for you because you love me in my worst. You've given your one and only son while we were yet still sinners. Christ, you died for me. And therefore, I'm going to give myself as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to you. For this is my spiritual act of worship. If you can just get that and understand that, and that's what Jesus was trying to teach. Stop focusing on what you do and what you don't do. I didn't come here to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. So look to me for your righteousness. 
Because some of you are boasting about, I didn't do this, I didn't do that, or I do this. And it reminds us of that one Pharisee who prayed and said, I'm so thankful I'm not like that person. But that sinful person beating his chest said, Father, I don't even deserve to even look to you. That humility of brokenness, realizing they needed God. So as we watch this video, may the story inspire you, remind you of the truth, what I've just spoken today. And I'm praying this coming week, we're going to experience tremendous freedom and people being released to shine the light wherever they go. So let's watch it together as we close. What a powerful story and a reminder of God's love for us. And I want to ask you, have you experienced that kind of love? And if you haven't, even if you've been to church all your life, that's why Jesus came. He didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. So no longer is about us trying to earn heaven or trying to be good enough for God to love us. That's why he's addressing the heart. Not the action, but the heart. So whether it's anger or lust, or maybe some of us in relationships, it's just brokenness there, or a lack of integrity. Jesus did all that so that we can live this righteous life, not on our own, but because of what he has done for us. This is what's going to cause us to shine the light and make a difference. Man, this is going to be an awesome series, The Kingdom Lifestyle. I'm praying, and I've been praying this week, God, through this coming year of shine as our theme, may more people come to know Jesus Christ. May more people be transformed, set free, have these transformational stories. May we begin to see the city of Hong Kong being transformed. May we see our campuses transformed. And then we could start looking outwardly and say, Lord, what are other nations, other places that haven't experienced the gospel? So it starts with us in our hearts. Give your lives over to Jesus and trust in him as you repent and say, God, I need you. And I believe he's going to do that. Can I just pray for you? And as we close out here and just have an awesome week as you look ahead, what a great opportunity Monday morning that you can shine the light of Christ. So let me pray for you. Father, I thank you so much for these brothers and sisters and those who are watching. I just pray right now that you will remind us that you came into this world, Jesus, so that you could make all the relationships right. And the reason why is because as our relationship with you is right, our relationship with others will be right. And that's how we're going to be able to shine your light in this dark world. So I pray that you will give us the grace that we need. Help us to go deep into the roots of why we struggle with what we do. And Father, just to be able to fortify this gospel paradigm, to speak the truth to ourselves and to one another. And through that, Lord, that we can find this good accountability who will help us in this journey. So bless us this week that we may be able to shine brightly starting even today and Monday morning. Use us for your glory. We thank you so much. We give you all the praise. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. Well, God bless you. Hope to see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. 
For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.